How y'all doing? Um, hey, I, I, I probably didn't meet all of you, but I was here, I think it's been over a year now, last spring, um, and I just wanted to let you guys know, I probably didn't have a chance to talk to you after that, it was one of the most encouraged times I've had in a while, just preaching to a community and being able to tell God is doing tremendous stuff here at the Garden, and I, um, I think I mentioned this last time, you guys probably think I'm just faking it, but I, I truly, I have such high respect for Pastor Joel. He is one of my um, heroes in the city, which sounds kind of strange, you think of superstar. He is one of my heroes here in the city because he's doing tremendous things with his family. And, and he, um, I think for both of us today is a fun thing because a lot of times when you're going to speak somewhere else, it's like, oh goodness, I get to get away from my church. I get a break. Um, for both of us, I think it's more of a joy of being able to go knowing that we're, we really miss our own churches very much, but it's the chance to be able to share with um, a sister community in the city of Baltimore that we love so much. And um, he, got, he speaks really highly of you guys. I, I don't know if you know that. Pastor Joel thinks the world of you and what you're doing here and the commitment that you've made to be part of this mission here in this particular neighborhood, but in this larger city. So I feel very honored to be with you all today. And I'm going to be talking about, as you see on, on your paper, their gospel friendships. And obviously the tie-in is we're talking about community. And, and sometimes some of you, I can already hear the internal groans like, oh, community. This is one of those fluffy, soft, bleh. I want something with meat and give me something hard that I can really. And, but I want, to, I want to suggest to us that community Unity, this idea of friendship, it's vital to our mission. This is not just some kumbaya, let's hold hands and feel better about each other and give each other a nice spiritual holy hug. I mean, you can do that if you want. No one's going to yell at you. But honestly, this is so vital to what we're called to do here in Baltimore, here for you, brothers and sisters here at the Garden in particular. Friendships, I'm going to suggest to you, this is key. So we're going to just jump right into it in this book of 1 Samuel. And I don't know if we have it up on the screen or not, or if you have a Bible. We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 23, and looking at verses 15 to 18. Do you have it on your paper? You good? Or your Bible? I'd give you a page number, but I don't have that, so sorry. It's before 2 Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 23. <laughs> yeah, corny stuff for me. Just get used to it. I'm full of cheese, right? 1 Samuel 23. Reading from verse 15 to 18, we're looking at this interaction between these two guys, David, that you might be familiar with, and, and Jonathan, maybe not as much. Verse 15, David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh, and Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh and Jonathan went home. Let me pray for us one more time as we jump into this. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. Lord, I, I thank you for this church here, this community of people who could be doing anything else at this moment, but you've given them the grace to come here and seek you as you first seek us. And Lord, I thank you for the commitment they've made to do that. And would you take us much deeper from there as we've made a step to come in. Lord, help us to reach even to one another, and fulfill the mission you have for us in that way. We thank you. Holy Spirit, guide us in this time. We love you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, the background of the story, if you don't know, um, there's this guy, Saul, who's the first king of Israel. And his son is Jonathan. Um, and Saul, he started out with really great plans. And after he was chosen one of God, first king of the nation, the people, they were crying, we want a king. So God told this prophet Samuel, Saul, he's my king. So this cat was tall, he was impressive, probably a guy that all of us would look at as king, but he utterly failed. 
Eventually, he came to be a failure, and God said, that's not my king any longer. I want this new kid, David. David? You, the kid, the last boy, David? Yeah, David. So God has chosen his new king. Um, there's only a little problem there. God's chosen a new king, but you still have the existing king. So there's a little bit of a problem there. And, and that's where we're at now. And that's why David is on the run. That's why David's hiding. But one of David's closest buddies, his close dear friend, is this guy Jonathan, who happens to be Saul's son. This would be a great miniseries. This is just powerful stuff here. And, and as we look at the story, before I continue, just a side note, be, be really careful where you get your knowledge of Scripture. Be careful where you get words of what people say. This is what's true about the Bible, because there's a lot of wacky stuff out there. Um, just my thought, CNN great news site, probably not the best place to get your understanding of the gospel. Maybe one out of 20 stories is really great. The rest of it is like, can we really trust? That is that. Um, one story I read recently is it actually took this very story between David and Jonathan, and, and a lot of the common thought, what some scholars say, is that these two guys, similar to many in the scripture, were actually secret lovers. Secret lovers. You know, David and Jonathan, they were actually on the down low, and because the, what they say is, well, look at the scripture. Look how close they are. No dudes are like that. They are, yeah, there's something else going on that the Bible doesn't want you to know. But that's the truth. And, you know, we can debate that however you want. But I, this is the thought I have about that. What it reveals to me is that a friendship that close between two men is just considered very weird in our society. What that means is our world just does not believe that two men should be that close. And, and probably there's something to think about there. Because in this story, I'm going to suggest rather than a secret love affair, we see a depiction of one of the greatest friendships that you can see in the scriptures between this guy David and his friend Jonathan. Because when we look at David's life, God has called him to do some crazy stuff since he was a kid. Yeah, David, you see that monster over there? Take some stones and chuck it at his head and, he's gonna, and, and you'll win. Um, yeah, you know, kill these animals, protect your sheep. Yeah, do all these things. And, and David, for so much of his life, he's on the run. <laughs> Because he's, he, he's put in situations that are just insane that would make many of us tap out here. And, and a lot of those things, you can see even the, just the repercussions of it in the Psalms. Read some of the Psalms. If you're going through hard times, one of the best things is to just open up a psalm and say, give me one of David's uh, crying out to God's psalms. Is Lord, why is my life so horrible? Why have you forsaken me? Blah, blah, blah. Because life was difficult for him. So call, God has called David to live an extraordinary life, just like he's called many of you to hear. He's not left him on his own. He's not left David to do these things on his own. Um, of course, he always has the presence of God. And the Psalms, some of these particular Psalms, they actually really illustrate this. Though I have no one, though everyone may fall around me, I still have you. So in one sense, David, all he needs is God. But God has also given David some mighty men to stand by his side. He's given him some friends, bros there till the very end. And, and in one of the books at the end, it talks about the mighty men of valor. I love this. Just this idea that David, as much as God has called him to be king, he has got some beasts around him who will never let anyone touch him. They are going to go destroy people to get him a cup of water because he's thirsty. That's the kind of friends David has. And, and we see some of this idea of friendship starting right here in, in what we read in 1 Samuel with this deep friendship found in Jonathan. Verse 16, I love that. This idea of strengthen his hand in God. It's almost this picture that we're supposed to get in our heads that, that David's right at the end of his rope and he's barely holding on and, and you know, fingers are starting to cut and boom, it's like Jonathan gives him another hand to hold on. It's saying, David, you got to hold on to God, but I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you strengthen your hand and hold on to him. And just a very simple big thought for us, um, this journey of faith was not meant to be taken alone. 
The journey of faith that God has given us here, and maybe you've been doing it for a while, maybe you're still searching it out, this journey was not meant to be done Lone Ranger style all on your own. And, and like I mentioned earlier, even with David, there are sometimes you have to see God in solitude. Sometimes that's just the nature of the beast. You, 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 know, you study the word on your own. Sometimes you have to be in your own literal or figurative prayer closet and seek God. But as relational beings, you and I, we're created to dwell in tribes with one another. We're created to be in community with one another. Um, life is really hard, and I, I don't think that's a surprise to anyone. One person in our church actually mentioned this. It just stuck with me a while back. She actually suggested that she thinks life is even harder as a Christian than it is as a non-Christian. Because as a, Christ, as a non-Christian, I mean, life is hard, but you're just kind of, well, life is hard. As a Christian, you're like, life is hard, but I know God, but life is still hard, and why is all this stuff happening? Why does, and, and it almost makes things more confusing. In the midst of these difficulties, um, and you might be different than me, isn't it surprising how it's still very hard to receive help from other people? Even, even though we know, I, even when I say community, I, in some of your minds are like, yeah, 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 we need to be in community. Oh, we need friendships. Oh, let's gather in community. We know it, but it's still so hard when life is difficult to receive, receive help from others. And maybe for some of us, it's a self-sufficiency thing. You've been taught from very young on, hey, you don't tell other people what's going on bad in your life. You don't tell them what's hurting in your life because that's a sign of weakness. And you don't let other people know what's weak with you. You don't, give a peop- you don't give other people a chance to know what is wrong with you. And sometimes there's this subtle message that if I can't live the Christian life on my own, if I can't get this issue straight, if I can't take care of this problem, if I can't carry my load, there must be something lacking in my character. Right? Don't, don't we feel that? Like we... T- you know, we talk about community to a blue in the face, right? We talk about, yeah, we need each other. You know, we're meant to be together and all this. But still we think, oh man, you need someone? I need someone? Man, that, that must be a weak thing. That must be a flaw in my character. The very biblical truth is that God has se- seemed to set out for his flowers to be on mission together. It seems to be a very purposeful thing. From the very beginning, he put Adam in the garden, started the whole thing. He didn't just say, all right, Adam, you, you are buff. You know, you, all you've got to be, go take care of it. Do it all. It, Adam needed a helper. God gave him. God gave him his own community from the beginning. Um, the Jesus' disciples, you would think these cats are like the cream of the crop, right? He, I think it would be much more efficient, 12 disciples, spread out in 12 ways, touch as many people as you can, influence as many people as you can. What does he do? Jesus sends them out in pairs. It doesn't seem strategic because you could reach much more just people going individually, but very intentionally. No, you're not supposed to do this alone. Go out together. Even the Apostle Paul. Man, the, have you read some of his stuff? I encourage you to. It's, it's deep. It's, it's like profound. He was the missionary among missionaries, church planter, even he never did this alone. He always had buddies like Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, always journeying together with him. So I, I just want to encourage you in love. If you think that it's more godly to do it by yourself, you're going to be setting a new precedent that's not found in Scripture because actually all the superheroes in the Bible, they've all got their friends around them doing this together. Maybe a more biblical perspective if, if, that we're doing alone rather than a sign of strength Perhaps you are limiting the full range of what God desires to do in and through you. Maybe if you're trying to do this own, maybe you're actually limiting what God might want to fully do in your life and, and through your life. Because one of the reasons friendships is extremely critical, um, it's integral for us living out God's will. 
And when we look at the story here, at this point in life, I'm just imagining David sitting on a rock somewhere. Man, life stinks. <laughs> Move to another rock. Man, life really stinks. You know, just hiding in caves and, you know, just trying not to get killed. You know, that's a pretty high life goal. Just don't be killed. Just try not to be destroyed by this guy Saul who's looking for him. And I'm guessing at that point, it would have been very easy for David to slightly doubt God's whole plan that you were going to be king. He's sitting in a cave, sitting on a rock, eating dust. I'm going to be king? You serious? I must have heard that wrong. That must have been a bad word. I, I, you know, I must have misinterpreted that whole thing from God. Because circumstances at this moment did not seem to point to the fact that David would actually turn out to be king. But if we look at verse 17, Jonathan, he encourages David to see God's plan for his life. He says, do not fear for the hand of Saul. My father shall not find it. You shall be king over Israel. As a friend, he affirms to David, David, I know right now life does not look like it's going to happen. I know right now being a king is the furthest thing from your mind. But trust me, even my pops knows this. This will happen. And I'm here to encourage you to keep fast, keep faithful. Because God's will is good. He will do this in you. He exhorted him to look beyond even the current moment of dark, dire times and see that God's plan is still good. And, and you know, we have a fancy word for that in modern day Christian living. That's accountability, right? Accountability. Because the truth is, um, I know Pastor Joel, one of the things I love about him, this dude is like courageous. He didn't start a church because he wanted to provide a little safe community where we could all hold hands together and say, ooh, isn't it great that we have our own little church now and we're in uh, Christmas attacks? And I thought this was Christmas attacks, you know, last time I said, I, I love this place. You know, let's build a nice little place so we can be safe and protect ourselves from the outside world. No, he's, he wants a community where you are going to hear from God and you're going to have something stirred within your soul to say, man, maybe I was created for so much more than I've always given myself credit for. Perhaps God desires to even use the broken parts of me, even the things that I feel are just tragic things in the past, and maybe even wants to reform them and, and be an agent of healing in my world, in my community, in my neighborhood, in my city here. But if you're anything like me, life hits you. <laughs> you come in here, you hear the message, you sing the songs, you're so pumped up. You, you even feel like legitimately you're hearing from God. You are so enthused and then you step out on the street and boom, life hits you. Finances hit you. Relational strife hits you. Disease hits you. The world hits you. Maybe your own mind hits you and you just start to doubt it all. Do you ever experience that? I do. I think I know what the truth is, but I just say, man, is it even worth it? Is it even making a difference? Why even stress myself like this? And in those moments when you're even doubting God, you know what a friend is? He's not the guy that listens to you, the sister that listens to you say, oh, man, that is extremely difficult sounding in your life right now. Let's go eat. <laughs> I, I really feel bad for you. Man, let's just find a way to ignore it. Let's go watch a movie. Or, you know, take the buzz off. You know, you're just stressed out too much. It's the one that says, like I was with my wife this morning. I'm really proud of my wife. She ran the Baltimore uh, Women's Classic this morning, 5K. She pushed the girls in a stroller together. It was insane, right? But she had a really hard night. She had a really bad night, barely any sleep. I mean, if you have two little kids, that's natural. But usually it seems to work the day before a race, right? She's just exhausted. 
she was supposed to get up at certain times so she could actually eat before, but she got up late. So she was just in, not in a good mood, feeling very down. And she gave me that look and that, that word says, I don't know if I can do it. And I could have been, man, you are my wife. I love you so much. I don't want to see you go through pain. Yeah, I'll take care of the kids. You just walk it and you'll be okay. I didn't say anything. I just said, well, you're signed up. I think you can do it. Even if you got to walk it, you can do it. You can do it. And then seeing her come down the finish line, running, pushing the girls. It's just, it's like I would have hated for her and the girls to miss out on that. Because for me to truly love my wife, my friend, would be to say, I know it's hard. I know everything within your fiber wants to say, quit, stop, this is not worth it. But rather as a friend to say, keep going. I, you know you, you feel you can't do it. You can. God's grace is far greater than your weakness right now. I know you feel there's nothing that's going to get you through this today. No powerful caffeine in the world can lift you up for this, but God can sustain you. And, and to do it, and that's one of the type of friends that we need in this garden community for one another because God has given you immensely big dreams for this city. Man, I hope you get sometimes, I hope you just sit on that sometimes and go, am I really a part of this? This is insane. We're seeing lives changed here. We're seeing a community be transformed little by little. And I'm a part of this. I would hate for you to miss that because it could be easier to just sit back and say, oh, you know, that's hard. It's hard. One implication of this kind of friendship, I think, um, taken seriously, is that um, this kind of friend is going to be the type of friend that will say things to you that maybe no one else would. Being, maybe, maybe put yourself in it. Being this kind of friend means you might be the type that have, has to say certain things to people that no one else will. You, and, you know, Ephesians 4.15, it talks about the idea of speaking the truth in love. Um, we don't like that verse in scripture because we're like, that just sounds mean. You know, anything that truth and love, that usually means they're setting us up for a big fall here. Um, the best kind of friend is one who is willing to look at someone you love. And even though you know those words might pain them a little bit, be willing to say, hey, I care enough about you. I got to bring this up with you in love. And that love part, that's crucial because some people in this room even write, oh, ooh, yeah, I'm all about truth. Yeah, who, who do I need to talk to? Um, you need to be able to weep over these things before you talk with somebody. It needs to pain you first to be able to do it. Because we've got this, um, I would say, misguided notion in our culture right now that if you really love someone, you're never going to say anything that's going to challenge where they live or what they believe or how they conduct themselves. That's not real love. Real love is just accept them exactly as they are and never speak into it because they're, the, they're them and you're you. Real love is being able to, you know, the most selfish thing you can do is to see a friend heading towards a cliff, ready to barrel over and just kind of watch and do nothing and hopefully say, well, I hope they take care of themselves. Or I hope someone gets them. Or, I hope they figure this, this out. A true friend will say, even if it might cost you some friend points to say, hey, I care too much about you for you to continue to go this direction. Hey, your marriage is hurting, and I don't even know if you notice it here. The way you speak to your wife, horrendous. We need to, we need to deal with this here. Hey, the way you spend money, there's something not right about that. You, we, we really need to look at this because you're not, you're not being a wise steward. Hey, you know what? I, I, you know, we've got nothing against drinking, you know, but well, I think you take it too far here. You don't even realize what you're doing. You don't realize how others look at you and they just kind of don't take you seriously anymore. And, and I would suggest to you, Garden, one of the best things you can do as a friend 
is to be able to speak the truth in love. That part is huge. <laughs> speak the truth in love to another. The flip side of that, um, it means being able to hear the truth in love. <laughs> Some of us, we have no problem with the speaking truth. You're like, yeah, where, where, who do I need to talk to? Um, we also need to be able to hear the truth in love from other people who are true friends. And this has been one of the deepest things that's impacted me since I was um, back in school. But one professor said, get some people in your life who are not so easily impressed by you. <laughs> yeah, because we love to find people who are, oh, you, you are incredible. Oh, the way you play that music. Oh, you read the Bible with such eloquence. Oh, you know, you are just so good looking. How did you get that good? You know, we love people that puff us up, right? Hey, we just feel good about it. We usually try to stay away from people who are going to continually bring up stuff that we need to grow in. You're like, why would I want to be around them? You know, I've got a boss already. I don't need this. But I'm going to say one of the best things you can do is find someone who's not so impressed by you, who's not scared of you, Who's, who's actually willing in love to be able to say things to you that no one else would. And I'm going to suggest to you, that is a real friend. Someone who's willing, even if I might damage the relationship, to be able to address certain things with you in love, to weep with you over things, to say, hey, this is not going to be easy, but let's, let's go with this together. And one thing I, I, we talk about at our church is, as you evaluate your friendships in church, I think there's a good rule of, of certain, when we look at the life of Paul and some of his, um, his peers, we can see some good nature relationships. Every one of us, we should seek to have um, three different kinds of relationships. One, we should have Paul relationships, and you might have heard this before. We should have Pauls in our life, which means people who can speak kind of as a mentor into your life. People who are maybe a little bit ahead of you on the road spiritually, and who can speak into your life, who can give you direction, who can give you counsel, maybe even rebuke you. We should also have Timothys, which are people younger than us, you, people that you can speak into, that you can give some counsel. Maybe you've been a Christian for a little longer than them. You've been, you, know, you can teach them how to read the Bible. You can teach them how to live life. And we should also have Barnabas, Barnabai, Barnabases. But we should have dudes named Barnabas in our life, right? People who are like peers, people who you probably more like kind of hang out with and journey together. And it's not like one speaking down to one, but you're more on a peer level. But we need to have those three different layers of relationships. And maybe you can ask yourself as you're in this community at the garden, um, do I have those? If not, how can I seek them out? Maybe for some of you who are a little younger in your faith, maybe it's looking for someone that you see, hey, you know, I like the way they live their life. I like the way they make decisions. I like the way they, hey, would you be willing to kind of journey with me every once in a while? Maybe we can meet. Maybe for some of you who've been doing this for a little bit, it's finding some, some people who are maybe younger in the faith and saying, hey, I just see so much potential with you. Would you love to meet with me like maybe once a month or so, once a week, and we'll just get some coffee and we'll talk about life? And I would encourage you to do that because I think that's a real sign of maturity for a community like this. You're, you know, you're really similar in age to our church, pretty young church. Um, because sometimes we think at church, people should hear exactly what they want to hear. I, I think personally, one of the signs of maturity in the church is not that you would come here and everything that's ever taught from the pulpit, you are totally in line with exactly like, wow, if I would have preached, I would have said the very same exact thing. Pastor Joel and I, we're right on the same level. You should be challenged. You should hear some things that you're not very comfortable with. If, if, if you... I want to suggest if you're not hearing that, either you're not being fully teachable or you're not really thinking about life. But there should be some things that the pastor, as he speaks, others up here speaking, that should make you really have to come to God and say, God, I don't know what to do with that. I'm wrestling through that one. And to be challenged because 
I've noticed this danger in a lot of, especially younger churches, and maybe it's um, a generational thing, that I think there's almost an epidemic that if someone in a church hears a word that they don't like, especially if it's personal, maybe, maybe a, a group leader or a pastor has a conversation and says, you know what, I really think you need to address this area of your life. What I've noticed so many people, what they do is, well, I don't need to be part of this church. They don't respect me here. They don't like me the way I am. I'm going to move on. And could I suggest to you, maybe one of the healthiest things we can see for a church like the Garden is not so much a message where all you hear from everyone is, oh, you're so good, oh, you're so good, oh, you're so cute, oh, you're so good, oh, you're so perfect, you're so good. And rather, more this idea, you know what, you and I, we're actually kind of jacked up. (laughs) We actually got some issues and problems in love. But God loves you so deeply, so immensely. Trust him. Put your life in his hands and let him guide you. Because again, for me, one of the saddest things is when people give up on a community and say, this place, they don't really like me. They don't affirm me. They don't fully believe in me. When the truth is, deep, true friendship and love is maybe hearing some things that you might not fully like. (laughs) That might not make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside, but they're going to lead you closer to God. Amen? You you know how else to tell a real friend? Uh, A friend will seek one another's well-being even at his or her own expense. A simple word for this is sacrifice. You know, when we look at the story with David and Jonathan, Jonathan, I'm guessing for most of you, he's probably not as well-known as David, right? When you're a little kid in Sunday school, you all know David, right? You know, David and Goliath and David and the shepherd. We all know David. Jonathan, we probably don't know him as well. But think, think about it, guys. Jonathan, his dad is Saul. His dad is the king. Legally, he has a right to the throne. Legally, Saul is the king. Once Saul passes away and hands over the crown, who would it go to? His son. Jonathan, and, and maybe, maybe we could say, you know, he, he knew it was inevitable. Why even fight it? I want to give him the benefit of the doubt to say he truly considered this and said, yeah, maybe I do have a legal right to the throne, but I consider my friend David so honorable, so worthy. I know this is his. I want him to have it. And I'm going to do whatever I can, even at my own expense, for him to truly become king the way that he was intended to. And, and I want to say it's his deep friendship for David. Maybe he's not as well known as David, but this is a true friend. He loved his friend so much, he was willing to give all that he could for David's well-being, even if it would destroy his own family, even if it might harm himself. And as we think about sacrifice, uh, one thing I'm trying to get in our church for people to say, because people will do something for someone, and then, and then someone will say, oh, thank you, and then people say, oh, it's no big deal. I'm really trying to get people not to say that. Because not that it's not a big deal. Maybe they really feel that. Because the truth is we all have a lot going on. We all are very busy. I mean, you all look very sharp. You look like you have a lot of things going on in your life. When you do something for someone, it's costing you something. It's costing you time that you could be spending on yourself, money you could be spending on yourself, time you could be spending on yourself, just energy you could be spending on yourself. So when you do something for someone, don't say, oh, no big deal. Just let it go. Let it work. And, and because there's something, when people know that you're sacrificing for them, there's power there. There's power there. Because the depth and character of a friendship is seen in the nature of the sacrifice involved. How deep a friendship is is really based on how deep the sacrifice is. Verse 18, it talks about a covenant before the Lord. It talks about the fact that Jonathan and David, they didn't just, you know, give high five and say, okay, let's be buddies. They made a covenant, a, a, a pact almost, an agreement. 
And what they were saying is, hey, hey, bro, our friendship, this is not conditional. We're actually standing before God and we're going we're gonna to make this, um, say, establish we have this friendship. This, this is a friendship not based on only if our circumstances are easy. I'm not going to be faithful to you. I'm not going to be true to you. I'm not going to be there for you only when everything is going well, only when everything's easy, but it's going to be about sacrifice. Here's why I make a point of that. Um, I'm guessing all of us here, well, most of us here, um, we, we want deeper community, right? No one comes to church saying, you know, I really want to belong to someplace where everything's really shallow and we're just going to hang out and, you know, eat, enjoy some pastries in the back. I hope they got good pastries this week and, you know, kind of his, hear a message, but, you know, I really don't want to get to... Um, I think most of us, we want deeper, richer community. Um, but at least in my experience, many of us, we want that, but we're not really willing to m- make some of the sacrifices for what that involves. Because deep, rich community that hopefully we would want, it, 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 it takes sacrifice. It takes a cost. Because if we're serious about, and if you're serious about building the kind of community here at the Garden that I think you are, um, it's going to have to start with each of your own sacrifice in a sense. It's going to mean a few people. It might not even mean everyone, but a few people willing to make the commitment to take a step of faith. Maybe some of the commitments will be a commitment to take some of your junk and some of your hurts and stop putting it in that closet that no one knows about, but actually bringing it out in front of people and saying, hey guys, I look like I have it all put together. This thing has wounded me since I've been a kid. You don't know how I was scarred by this. And, ha- and, you, and I think you've all experienced this. Isn't it amazing how when one person does that, it's just like a snowball? Because <laughs> other people start to say, wow, I'm not the only one? I'm not the only one jacked up? I'm not the only one with a jacked up family? I'm not the only one who's messed up things that I felt were irreparable in my life? You too? And we start to encourage one another. We don't have to hold on and hide things that are maybe in our past, even in our present. We can even be naked before one another. Metaphorical. <laughs> We had nudists in our church, so I, I always bring that up, right? Um, part, maybe the commitment is not to be hurt when you do reach out to people and you don't receive that kindness back. Isn't that part hard? You give yourself to people. You express yourself. You extend yourself. You give. You're generous. You're generous with time, your energy. You reach out. You email. You call. You do all these things, and you don't get anything back. A, a friendship doesn't do things just to get things back. It does it just to do it because you, you're, you're that kind of person. Maybe it's a stand, a commitment to move beyond a small tech, and especially dudes. I mean, we need to be a culture where we go beyond, hey, how them ravens? Wow, it's hot. Or how the ravens? Oh, man, it's hot. Oh, man, how the ravens? Oh, man, it's hot today. That, you know, sometimes I listen to guys talk. That's all we seem to talk about. Just ravens are hot. It's hot. And, and to actually, well, you know what? I see you here week after week. What's God doing in your life? I mean, you look, like not, you look like you're just going through, but what's actually happening? I want to know. And it takes a few brave men to actually take that step with other guys to do that. Maybe again, like we mentioned earlier, it, it's desiring to speak into other people's lives, but also find people who are going to speak into your life. And that's hard because none of us want to hear things that are going to challenge us. But if you're serious about wanting to grow in community, I think that's essential. And maybe for, for most of us here, it's a basic, view, um, basic thing of ask, viewing how you view your time. Because each of us, no matter who we are, we have 168 hours. God's given all, us all the same. And just like any of his gifts, they're never meant to be hoarded. Every hour God has given you is for a purpose. It's intentional. And maybe it's just even asking, how am I using my time? Um, this is a really practical one that I think will apply particularly to the garden community. I know it has for us. And I'm just going to keep it kind of honest here, and I think you guys will appreciate it. 
um, when you start a church, <laughs> um, people who, who know more than you do will say that. They say, you can never do church that way. Well, what they mean is, you know, who are you going to try to reach? Who's your target group? And what, what there's, this, there's different principles based on homogeneous units and stuff that none of you are probably interested in. Basically, the mentality is, if you really want to do ministry, if you really want it to go well, if you want it to be successful, you need to reach people, do ministry with people who are like you, who look like you, who maybe have the same color skin as you do, who come from similar contexts and backgrounds that you do, who maybe have the similar educational levels that you do. Because if you don't, it's not going to work. That you can't do ministry that way. And maybe something really practical for Garden, I know it has been for us at the village, is saying, <laughs> <laughs> theological depth, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I need to aim that way and do that. <laughs> because we've experienced the very same thing at the village, because I, I don't know if you guys know this or not. Um, I'm not white. I, I, <laughs> You know, I, I, I don't, you know, that might not have been very clear, but I, I'm not, I'm not. But in Hamden, our neighborhood that we started the church in, um, if you're, especially from Baltimore, you know what I'm talking about. It used to be considered a giant marshmallow. <laughs> if you were a person that was not white, you don't walk through the neighborhood there. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You'll get thrown off a bridge, right? It just, you just don't do it. And so about, you know, six years ago now or so, when I told people, yeah, I want to start a church, where? Hamden. They just looked at me and said, you know, you're not white, right? <laughs> I'm like, well, they need Jesus. And, and sometimes it means saying, you know, what would a friendship look like to go just beyond what's easy or normal or what's expected? What everyone else, maybe what the world says, this is what you can do. And maybe one of the deepest sacrifices for each of us is to go beyond some barriers that society has put upon you. Say, this is who a friend of yours would look like or where they would come from or what they would talk like or what kind of school they've gone to and say, the gospel eliminates those barriers. The gospel says that I can sacrifice and go beyond what everyone else will tell me is normal. And, and it's been one of the most humbling things for me at our church because it's not just even a color thing because we've, we've grown. I mean, for a while it was just my family and, and a, a bunch of, ang I'll use Anglo. That sounds so much more po polite, right? A bunch of Anglo people. I'm thinking, man, and my wife would joke, you can't even reach your own people. What's going on here? Um, but God, by his grace, has grown us. We've grown um, diverse in different ethnicities, different cultures, and it's awesome. But I would say even deeper than that is the socioeconomic diversity that started to happen in our church. And I would say maybe that's even more challenging and more real. Because I I'm going I'm to say this. For you guys who are here committed to Garden, you have made a bold choice. Because <laughs> every other church says, go be with people you're comfortable with who are exactly like you who listen to the same exact music you do, who dig the same kind of movies you do, who watch the same kind of TV, who read the same books, who hang out at the same places, who like coffee the same way, who dress the same, who talk the same, who live the same, and you're saying, no! I choose something greater. I choose friendships that are going to go beyond that level because maybe it's a sacrifice. And let's be real, it's not easy. <laughs> if you're doing it right, it's not easy to be stretched beyond what's quote-unquote normal for you, but it's rich because it represents the beauty of the unifying power of the gospel. And, and you know, one of the most practical ways you can live this out is by joining a community group. What do you call it here at the garden? Gar house, house communities. Join one of these house communities because the truth is um, we need to get beyond, and I heard one pastor say that we need to get beyond the point where we just find out when the house burns down. 
What I mean by that is usually it's like if a house burns down, you're like, oh man, the house burnt down. What happened? And you never knew that years and months and, and many times before, there was starting to become little electric wiring faulty. Things are starting to break down. Termites are starting to break through. Things are starting to get a little, and there were a lot of things that led to that point. And all we see is the house burned down when the truth is there was much that could be done way ahead of that time to take care of the problem. And the thing in church, the, the equivalent of the house burning down is, oh, their marriage broke up? Oh, they went bankrupt? Oh, he lost his whole life because of that habitual sin? And all we hear is the house burnt down when the truth is you need to be in a community where you start to identify these things at the beginning. You start to identify, um, you know what? Yeah, my wife and I, we're starting to have a few issues here. Our communications, it's, I mean, it's not really bad yet, but I could see it getting to a point where we, we need to address this. Yeah, yeah, the way, you know, and you know, whatever it might be, we need to have communities because, I mean, this is great. I'm so encouraged to be part of this gathering here on Sundays. Most likely, not many of you are going to come up here and just unload all the stuff you're struggling with here. You need a smaller community to be able to do that. And so I highly encourage you, find one of those house communities. And, and, and the big point, this, it's not easy. But many of you know this already. Rarely are things that are really good in life easy, right? <laughs> it's not going to be easy. It's probably going to be pretty tough. But I would say it's really good because it works in two ways. This kind of sacrifice, it draws us to Jesus in two ways. For one of us, for one, for those of you who, who feel this uh, call to sacrifice, to reach out, to break beyond barriers, to really give of yourself, being unconditional, all these things, what it's going to be do, your heart's going to be transformed as you give. Your heart will be transformed as sacrifice because realistically, this is breaking up. If you are going to do this the way God wants you to, you will be an utter failure. <laughs> if you are really going to be a friend the way God wants you to, you're going to realize I am not as sacrificing as I need to be. I'm not as compassionate. I'm not as generous with my time. When I get pressed, I'm all about me. I'm consumed myself. And I'm going to say, that's a great place to be. Because when you're trying to follow what God is doing and you realize you can't do it by your own strength, you fall to your face and you say, God, to be the friend that you've called me to be here at the garden, I need your strength in me. I can't do this. I'm not that loving of a person. So for those of you who feel called to sacrifice, that's a great thing. Do it and do it hard because that's going to lead you to Christ. For, for others of us, maybe you receive sacrifice. And whether you give or receive, but particularly when you receive, that always draws you to Jesus. When some of you, if you've experienced kindness from other people in this community and you know you haven't done a single thing to deserve it. Maybe people have brought you a gift or they've brought you food. For those who've had babies, maybe people have brought you food. Or maybe you've gone through a hard time in life and you've just gotten a phone call. Or maybe people have know you suffer and they gather around and say, how can we pray for you? you? Maybe you think no one else cares and you get a phone call, ask, someone's asking, how are you doing with that? I remember you sharing about that. And when you receive that kind of sacrifice, every bit of that, why does it feel so good? Because it feels good, but it's deeper. It reminds us of Jesus' unconditional sacrifice for you. Every time you receive sacrifice from someone, every time you receive something you know you didn't deserve, you didn't ask for, it's always pointing to what Jesus has done in your life. Because what we believe in the gospel is that Jesus went on a cross, he gave of his life, he had it poured out, he conquered death and sin and rose again. He always gave, not because we deserved it, he gave it in spite of us. <laughs> because of God's grace, because of God's love. And, and when we grow in this kind of sacrifice, this is where a, a community like the Garden, I know you've already experienced but you're going to see this just push to the max, where genuine honesty, openness, trust will start to form in this community. And not just between people who it should, but across the board. 
when you see this kind of gospel sacrifice lived out. And, these kind of, and when I talked about mission, these are the kind of friendships that lead us to mission. We know John 13, 34, 35, it says, through the love we have for one another, it's meant to be a picture of God's love for us, right? That, the verse basically says that the way that the world sees us, when they see how we love one another, that's how they know God's love. By the way, you love one another in this community. When you serve someone in here with absolutely nothing to gain, our world gets a real picture of Christ's sacrifice for us. They see that we're not perfect, we get beyond these really false images that the church is perfect. We, we see we're not perfect, but we encourage one another to keep running. And that there's a true thing as friendship, community, and a world that is cutthroat. Our world is cutthroat. Our world is all about, well, I'll be nice to you, but what can you provide me? And when people see that even when you can't offer anything that we're willing to love and sacrifice, that's the power of God moving in a community. And that's what speaks to this neighborhood. That's what speaks to this city. So I'm going to ask you to um, just bow your heads with me, and uh, our worship team will come up and, and give us some time to close here as we go to worship and communion. As, as you have your head bowed, I mean, I think there's different ways to respond to this. But maybe first you can just ask, what does this community here mean to me? What does the garden mean to me? Um, and, and I think one of the great things we have to acknowledge is that we are all on different um, paths of that journey. Some of us are just starting out. So even hearing a message like this, you're like, whoa, 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 give me a little time to get acclimated. I want to kind of find that. And that is totally fine. But especially if you've been here for a little bit, are there some things holding you back from truly opening yourselves up to other people. And on the flip side, are, you, are there things preventing you from totally reaching out to other people? Maybe it's uncomfortable. Maybe it feels awkward. But could I suggest a gospel, a gospel love that conquers awkward things and tells us that our goal is not to just love people who are lovable, not just love people who happen to respond exactly like we would, but maybe people who are the exact opposite of you because that's what Jesus' love is for us. He didn't love people who were just like him. He loved people who were the exact opposite of him. He was loving. We were hateful. He was angry. Or he was, he was peaceful. We were angry and violent. He was all about justice. We were all about ourselves. He loved people who were exact opposite of him. And that's why we come to Christ to be able to love one another the way we want to here at the garden. So let me help you to meditate on Jesus as you consider your own heart here. Who is Jesus to you? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great grace upon this community. Lord, we've seen you at work here already, and we thank you that you've given us the grace to not accept just what everyone says is enough, to realize that you have shown us what true, deep, sacrificial friendship is. So, Garden Community, as you go forth, as people who live out the friendships that Christ has shown you, May his peace be with you. Amen.